Exodus chapter 33, if you're there, say amen. I'm going to read a couple verses here, and starting at verse 11. The Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaks unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. I do believe that when you look from the beginning of the Bible and throughout the word of the Lord, you see that there's an ongoing effort of God to have that intimate relationship with somebody where he can talk to them on a very personal basis. Now, we don't remove the reverence of God that we have for him in trying to reduce it into something so casual. But at the same time, even before the blood of Jesus, before the New Testament dispensation, you see God having conversation with Adam in the garden. Even after Adam sinned, God approached him and he spoke to him. He didn't rain down fire in that moment, though maybe he should have or could have or whatever. But God came asking, where are you? Not that God did not know where he was. He wanted Adam to acknowledge where he was and what was going on. There's always been an ongoing effort on God's part to have relationship with people. But relationship is comprised of two parties or more. And so it's beautiful to see that here God and Moses are speaking. And it says in this term that they spoke as a man speaks to a friend. And in James chapter 2 verse 23 we read of another individual The scriptures fulfill which says Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. And that's just what I want to kind of speak about for the next few moments about friends of God. We've read two individuals here. We got Moses. We got Abraham and they're both friends of God. They're both in interaction, relationship, talking to the Lord, just like you would talk to your friend, not meaning irreverent, not reducing, you know, the level of God's authority, but the level in which God actually wants to be involved in our life, not just king of kings, but the father of lights. This is the kind of God that we serve. And so he was called a friend of God. And what's important to note in the book of James here is that, uh, Yes, Abraham believed in God. And a lot of people like to hang out there in that element when you're reading through the book of of Romans, uh, how, you know, it's not about works, it's about faith. And he believed in God, it was imputed in him righteousness. But again, we want the full counsel of God. And when you read the three-dimensional view of all the scriptures surrounding Abraham, you find out that it was more than just belief. He followed through with what he believed. He believed it so much that it called called him to work, to action. And so in this setting, in this context, Abraham didn't just believe God, but he followed through with his end of the deal, which is enter into covenant. God gave all these promises. This is what I'm going to give you, this land and this posterity and this blessing. But you've got to enter into covenant with me. You've got to enter into contract with me. And so that is what Abraham did. And he, at that moment, not only because he believed in God, but he followed through with God. He obeyed God. And then it was at that point, God says, you're my friend. You don't just, with lip service, say, this is what our friendship's comprised of. But there is action, there is substance to prove that you really are my friend. And the book of James is an excellent read to help us to understand faith and works. That faith works. 
faith has action involved with it. And so there's, there's people in all of our lives that we would like to be our friends. Hopefully I'm talking to everyone in this room that has at least one friend or two friends, hopefully maybe a few more. But whatever friend you have, it's a lot of times interest-based. People that have things in common, not everything. There's personality differences and things like that. But there's usually some common denominators in that relationship, common interest. And hopefully the friends that we have, the interests that we have in common are healthy interests, are godly interests. Not that anything that is of interest that is not of God means that it's wrong or sinful, but hopefully your nearest and dearest friends have something in common with you that is faith-based, that has to do with, you know what? We believe the same thing about God. We're serving the same God. We are going the same direction. And so we want to make sure that we make the right friends. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. It is in direct opposition. It is... It is uh, um, very confrontational. They are diametrically opposed. And it says, whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so James, as he, one, has already mentioned in chapter 2, that there is a God who wants to be your friend, but there's other types of friendships that can be had. There are friendships that you can have that are of the world. And those friendships of the world, it says... It puts it in enmity with God. And so we must be very careful and very intentional. We've talked about this uh, the other month, and we did it for, I don't know, about four weeks, maybe five. I can't remember now. But we, we talked about being intentional, about the will of Psalm 101, that we too often do things very flippantly or very casually. Uh, We don't really put much thought into what we are doing on a regular basis. That is this productive for my walk with God or is this counterproductive with my walk with God? And friendships are that way as well. I mean, we can have such a good time with friends that we're never actually taking inventory. Is this friendship helping my walk with God or is it hindering my walk with God? And so you got to not only look at yourself, you got to look at what you are surrounded by. And what I am surrounded by, is that going to be productive in my walk with God? Because friendships, typically you're having a good time. You're having a fun time. At least, hopefully that's what you find in your friendships. I like to laugh. I like to have a good time. But I want to make sure that whoever it is that I'm invested in, that I don't look at James chapter 4 and verse 4 and see that my friend is solely a friend of the world, and it puts them at enmity with God. And if I'm in that proximity with that friend, where does that put me with God? Now, that is not to say that we cannot have a friend that is in the world, because how else are we going to reach this world? We have to have relationship. We have to have common interests. We have to be connecting to people if we ever want to bring people into the kingdom of God. And so there is a balance here. Second Samuel chapter 13 in verse 1, a famous story about an unhealthy friend would be David had children. And the Bible says that Absalom, the son of David, had an attractive sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. 
And Amnon was so consumed, he, he was sick in love, lovesick for his sister Tamar. And the Bible says Amnon it thought it was difficult for him to have any relations with her, which, you know, it is one, biblically wrong to have incest. And we know culturally today, culturally today, hopefully, we're still at that place where we realize that is wrong. But biblically, it is a sin. And here, there is something inside of, of Amnon that he, he sees his sister and he's attracted to his sister, but he knows that this is not right. I will not cross this line. I will not cross this boundary because it is a relationship that would be sinful. It is a relationship that is wrong. And so even though he had this unhealthy attraction, he still had a line that he drew in his life saying, this I will not cross. But in verse three, it says, but Amnon had a friend and his name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And so Amnon, though he had a line drawn, knowing that I cannot cross this line, he has a relationship in his life, a friendship that basically helps blur the line and remove the line and convinces him to cross it. And ultimately what ends up happening, and Amnon listens to his friend's advice, and he ends up raping his own sister, all because of an unhealthy friendship that convinced him to remove conviction, to remove boundaries. And this is important for us to realize who we surround ourselves with. Whether we believe it or not, they do have an influence in our life. Not just having a good time, but maybe participating in something that is wrong, that is not right, that is contrary to God's will and God's way for our life. And so the wrong friend leads to the wrong end. And ultimately what ends up happening, not only does he cause shame to enter into the family. Now, after the rape happens, now there's deception and now there is wrath and there's bitterness and there's vengeance. And now there's murder in the family. And it just boils over out of control. All because somebody had a wrong friend in their life that had voice into their life that led them down the wrong path. And so it's important that we have friends, but it's more important to make sure that we have the right friends that have the right amount of influence in our world. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 and 25. There is some sound advice in the book of Proverbs about friendships. It says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man thou shalt not go. I don't know if you ever met someone that's uh, got a temper. There's a few people out there in the world that got a little temper. And it says it's not good to have a friendship with that person. Not saying that you can't love them. Not saying that you can't reach them. But if, if you have that friendship with them, you got to understand there is, there is a consequence. Because he says in verse 25, here's why the man says do not have a friendship with him. Because you will learn his way and it will become a trap to your soul. Well, it's, it's not going to impact me. We're just friends. We're just friends. It's, he's not going to have any negative influence on my life. He's not going to lead me the wrong direction. I, I got boundaries. I'm healthy. I, this is who I am in God. There's no way. But the Bible says, no. You think you're standing, but take heed lest ye fall. You think you have control of this. You think there's not an influence on your life, 
But the longer you're around any negative influence, it eventually will bleed in. It eventually will play out in your life. So he says, don't even have that kind of friendship. Psalm 1 in verse 1 says this. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Couple questions here. Who are you walking with? Who are you standing with? Who are you sitting with? And who are you taking advice from? Those four things mentioned in this one verse. There is a blessing that could be had if you start taking inventory of who am I walking with? Who are my boys? Who are my best friends? Who are my girls? Who are, who are, who are the relationships in my life that I am walking with, that I stand around with, that I sit at a table with, and that I'm taking advice from? And there might be pastoral advice here, and there might be ministerial advice that you get in this building. But it's a dangerous thing when you walk outside of church and you're in the distance from your spiritual covering, and it seems as if those friendships that you walk with, sit with, stand with, have more advice and more counsel, and you, they, you give more ear to their advice than the spiritual authority in your life that is praying for you, that is watching for your soul. We got to make sure that we do not fall prey to friendships. Not saying we can't have friendships, for they are healthy, as we will see. But you got to ask that, is God's blessing in these friendships? Because blessed is the man that doesn't walk in this kind of counsel. Blessed is the man that doesn't walk and hang around this kind of advice. Are they friends of God? They're friends of you, but are they friends of God? Verse 2 of Psalm 101. Uh, we read through this verse, as I mentioned, for over a month. Uh, these, these five, six, seven verses. It says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? We all want God to come to us. We want God in our lives. But we have to will something. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. It starts in the home. I will set no w- wicked thing before my eyes. But here's where some things I want to underscore. It says, I hate the work of them that turn aside. He's looking Not just at the friend. He's not just looking at their faith. He's looking at their works. And he says, the work that is in certain people's life, I I despise that work that turns away from the counsel of God that is not of God. And he says, I will not let it cleave to me. And we went through that word. It's like a static. It's, It's something that adheres to you like an adhesive. And so there's certain friendships that if we don't hate what they're doing, it eventually will cling on to us. It will attach itself to us. Not that in that moment, because my friend cusses means I'm going to cuss. And because my friend commits adultery means I'm going to commit adultery. It's not an instantaneous thing that happens. But something is latching on to you. Something you are surrounded by eventually begins to influence you. And so it goes on in verse 4. He says, not only that, but even what's within their heart, not just with, without happening. He says, a forward heart is going to depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. I'm not going to be that intimately involved or emotionally invested in this kind of person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, that I'm going to cut that friendship off. The friend that's gossiping, the friend that's tearing down, the friend that's slandering. I am going to draw a line here. I'm going to remove that. I might, uh, it says, him that has a high look, a proud heart, 
will not I suffer? That friend of yours might be the most sought-after friend, the most popular friend, the best-looking friend, the most charismatic friend, the most influential friend. But that friend, are they harnessing, are they embodying the characteristics of a Christian? And why are you so drawn to them? Is it something about their walk with God that draws you to them? Or is it something about their pride that draws you to them? Because that can cleave to us. That can cling to us. Whoso privily slandeth his neighbor. We don't talk bad about people, but eventually we will because this is what we are around. Verse 6. My eyes, I'm going to redirect what I'm going towards, will be upon the faithful of the land. There are faithful people around you. And that's where you should have your eyes set. We we talked about this. I'm not going to rehash everything in Psalm 101. But you should look around any given Sunday. You should look around in the room and say, okay, are my eyes towards anyone in this room? Am I involved with anyone in this room outside of a Sunday service? Am I emotionally invested with anyone in this room outside of a Sunday service? If not, why not? And who are the ones that your eyes are toward? Just some questions. It gets quiet on the 4th of July. Reading on here, it says that they may dwell, uh, my eyes will be upon the faithful land that they may dwell with me, interact with them, be with them. Five o'clock, we got church picnic today. Good, good time to exercise this. He that walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. These are the people that I'm going to work with, these kind of people. He that works deceit, though, not going to be in my house. I'm not going to let that kind of traffic come into my home. He that tells lies will not tarry in my sight. So look at your friends and the company that you keep. What category do they fall into? And, where, and what, what, why do you fit in with them so well? Why is it so easy for you to have that relationship when you look at everything of that friendship and everything about them is not of God? It's contrary. What is your motive for the friendship? One, it's one thing, yes, you have a childhood friendship, and you say, well, I want to win them to the Lord. Are you doing anything to try to win them to the Lord. And that's, that's when you know really where your motive is at. Because you might have a lifelong friend. You say, well, i got to win them to God. And if I cut off this friendship, I'm never going to win them to the Lord. Well, what have you been doing the past six months to win them to the Lord? Have you done anything with that friendship to steer them your direction to the church instead of their direction outside of the church? That's when you realize who's got the greater influence. Am I, am I having a greater... Is my friendship valuable to them where they're respecting my language? Are, are, do, are, they, are they doing anything to respect me as their friend? Or am I caving in every step along the way? Am I, am I giving in to their will? Am I giving in to their comfort? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to friends. I want to have friends of God. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have Moses for your friend? Wouldn't you like to have Abraham for your friend? Well, you don't have to look back 6,000, 4,000, 2,000 years to find a friend of that caliber. There are people that walk this earth today of that caliber. Not saying superior, not saying holier than thou. But there are people that really do talk to God face to face as God would talk to a friend, as a man would talk. There are people that walk this earth that talk and walk that way. And so verse 8, I will early destroy all the wicked land. Stop delaying it. The, the longer you delay, the less likely the day. Be quick about it. Be rapid about it. And you, some of you, you've heard this over and over again, but yet you get to draw some lines and some boundaries in the friendships and the influences in your world. Bad company for too long 
cannot go any longer. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, 34. Be not deceived. That means don't be deceived. Deep stuff here. Don't be fooled by this. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Literally means bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And so don't be deceived thinking, well, I can keep company with bad people and it not affect my character. You, you can justify it all you want, but I'm, just, I'm not going to argue with the Apostle Paul, who's inspired under the Holy Ghost, that is speaking here, saying, look, church, do not be deceived by this. Bad company corrupts good character. What you got going on inside of you, the power of the Holy Ghost, that prayer, it's too valuable for you to compromise that just so you can have a good time with bad company. Verse 34, so he says, wake up. Wake up to that which is right. Wake up to that which is pure. Wake up to that which is good and stop sinning. Because that's what the bad company makes you do. They'll, they'll eventually get you to sin. They're, they're not going to acquiesce to your way. They're waiting for you to come their way time and time again. The times I convinced myself, I'll never drink. I'll never drink. I'll never drink. I'll, and I hung around party after party after party, not touching any alcohol. But eventually, it never, it, this never happened. Where everybody just stopped drinking. Like, man, let's, let's respect Mark's drinking boundaries. Okay, everybody, all, all 30 of you at this teen party of illegal drinking. All, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's respect Mark tonight. Let's, let's not drink. Hey, everybody, out of the bedroom. Every, let's all just stop right now. That's never happened. But I'll tell you, the reverse happened. The reverse happened. And because emotionally connected And when they're walking that way and you're connected, you're getting pulled by what you're connected to. It's leading you a direction. This is why you have to look at your friendship. And you got to ask, is this a friend of God? This friend of mine, is it a friend of God? Because I want to be a friend of God. But my friend that I have, is my friend a friend of God? And I I, I don't have to reiterate this, hopefully. I, I hope that you're listening through this filter, that I'm not teaching that we cannot be friendly to people that are lost, that we cannot be involved in the lives of people that are lost. That's the only way we're going to reach them. The Spirit draws them, and God uses us through the Spirit to get people. So we need to make sure we are connected. But who's pulling who is what we have to look at. And so I've had to learn to sever friendships. And uh, it, it, the hardest first step for me was when I, when I, when I prayed through when I was 18 years old. I, I kept giving in to them. And I realized I have to sever that. I have to cut that off. And when I made that decision, I lost lifelong childhood friends. But I became a closer friend of God. And, the, and, and what I learned to find is when they did not even respect the new friendship that I was trying to have, a healthy friendship I was trying to have, I was like, well, they're not really my friend. Because this whole time I've been giving, 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 giving to have the friendship with them. But they're not giving anything to have that friendship with me. And so I lost friends. And it, 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 it's happened in seasons where I've, I've been without friends in seasons. I wish I could say when I was at Bible college, everybody there was holy, godly, pure, you know, undefiled. But there's a lot of defilement every now and again at Bible college. It's just a sad reality. And I had friends. And also I realized, you know, these friends really, they're not all that interested in what I'm interested. They're, they're, they're fun to be around. It's a laugh to be around. And we have good times, but they're really not 
interested in what I'm interested in. I had to have that another reset of friends. And I've, I've had that multiple times in my life. And I remember one time reading through a book. I don't, I can't remember the name of the book, but someone gave it to me and I hate reading books. And, but they kept pushing me to read. So I, I read it and I got to this journaling entry moment and I, you know, journaling wasn't my thing and not that it's like my number one thing either. Uh, but as I'm sitting there, dear diary, and I'm doing my, my journal entry and I'm like, this is so cheesy. This is so cheesy. And I'm sitting there and it, the question's like, you know, name your, your, your inner five or inner threes is likening Jesus in his inner circle or something. And, and, and I sat there and I stared at a blank page and I just stared at it for a long time. And all of a sudden this terrible thing happened. I got emotional. And I started crying, and, you know, here I am, you know, I'm trying to pastor, and I'm looking at it, and I feel like I had no friends. And I'm not saying that, you know, nobody in the church uh, is, is my friend. That's not the point. I'm talking about, like, ministry friends that I had a, a depth of relationship with, because my nearest, dearest friends I have in this room. But ministry friends that, you know, are, are, are doing the same thing that I'm doing in other churches and things like that. I didn't, I didn't have any of that connection with. And, I, and I'm feeling all sad. And then my brother's telling me, well, we're on our 25th anniversary friends retreat. And, uh, and I, you know, and Pastor Jeremy Cox is one of those people on this elite retreat. And I would, I literally, I, I remember sitting there bawling. Like, I, I just wish I had something like that. And I, I just started, I had my little pity party. But instead of just sitting there in my pity, I did something weird. I started talking to God about where I was in friendships. Like, you know, God, I'm not jealous of my brother, David. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that he has those kinds of friendships. And if you could do it for him, I pray that you could do it for me. If you can raise the dead, if you could open blinded eyes, if you could pop open a deaf ear, I think you could help me find a friend. And so I started talking to God about friendships and relationships. And 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 3 says, He made an end of speaking to Saul. And the soul of Jonathan, this was, Saul was the king, Jonathan was the son. And David and Jonathan, the Bible says, Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. They just met, but there was this depth of relationship between David and Jonathan. And Saul took him that day, would not let him go anymore to his father's house. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And the truth of the matter is when you start taking inventory about, you know, are these friends of God? These friends of mine, are they friends of God? And you realize they're not. And this this friendship is not benefiting your walk with God. It's actually hindering it. When you make that hard line, it is a heart-wrenching thing to do. It's not because you hate them. You love them. That's why it's a difficult thing to do. But you know it's not helping. But when that line was drawn, all of a sudden... All of a sudden, David, David, God sent David a Jonathan. It was a miracle friendship. And that's what happened in my life. I began to pray and all of a sudden God began to send me friends. I lost friends because I made that line in the sand, but I found brothers. God gave me friendships with depth, though we had no come. And this is the thing I think I've shared this before in the past is like, I, I long for the friend because I do not have one of these friends that I grew up with the entirety of all experiences that we can share common experiences going all the way back to when I was five years old, when I was 15 years old, because most of those friends went a different direction. 
I went a different direction. And so I wish I had, because I could go to some of these conferences and events, and I'm listening to two preachers talk that grew up in the same church the entire time, stayed faithful the same age, went to the same school. Like, I look at that friendship, I'm like, man, I would... I would love to have it. And I have similar friendships. Pastor Cox is one of them, uh, but he, he, he was in a different age group because, you know, when you're a teenager, you don't hang out with nine-year-olds. So we had a little, dis- but we share common experiences. Anytime we are together, we talk about the good old days in Harvey, uh, Illinois. And man, it, 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 it does something to talk about common experiences from way back when that you can have with nobody else. But even if you don't have that, Jonathan David did not have that. But God accelerated the friendship and added depth to that friendship where it was something that cre- it was love. There was love in depth in an instantaneous moment. And all of I found out as I began to pray, God began to prepare those kinds of friendship. And sure enough, one by one over time. Boom. Next one. Boom. The next one. And I have five friends that are my inner, they're like core depth. And I've only known them for anywhere from five to six years. Some of them only three years. But I feel like this Jonathan David concept, when you begin to pray, and you could be here today and say, well, man, I feel like there's nobody I can relate to in this church. There's nobody my age. There's nobody going through what I went through. There's no one with my past. Well, have you talked to God about actually adding that to you? Instead of sitting there and wallowing in despair of what you don't have, why don't you talk to God about it and say, God, if you could do this for Jonathan and David, can you do this for me? I want this. I want this. And if you write it off, you brush off, then you will continue to live in the wallow, the despair, and the pity. And it's not a friendly place to be. And no one wants to be friends with someone in that spectrum of emotional status nobody wants who wants to hang out with someone that's just going to basically flog themselves the entire time nobody loves me i'm so stupid i'm so nobody wants to even be in that environment and so it's up to you to pick yourself up and say god i want something meaningful i want something with depth i pray if you can do it for david and jonathan do it for me but uh, a man that has friends 1824 must show themselves friendly So this time that you look for friends, look for friends of God. And you might want the kind of friends that are God's friends. Proverbs 28, 23. Here's some of the kind of friends that you should maybe think about having, which doesn't sound like fun, but these are, these are real friends. These are true friends. He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flatters with the tongue. You might be used to always being around people that can just compliment you, compliment you, feel good. But the moment they disagree with you, you walk out. The moment they disagree with you, you get in a fit. The moment they challenge you, all of a sudden, no, I don't want nothing to do with it. They don't care. They don't love me. You are missing a real friend. Because it says the person that rebukes a man, if you can stay with that person that's giving you godly rebuke afterwards, you will get more favor than being around someone that's just going to keep flattering you and never challenging you to rise to that level of expectation that God has for you. So you need a friend that will rebuke you. You know, my friend Juan Lopez, obviously I'll never forget when he rebuked me. I was at a table and they were making fun of all these preachers, not in like, you know, a cute way. They were like, like tearing them down in a very, uh, with vitriol. And, uh, and I'm laughing because they're impersonating him. It was, it was pretty hilarious. And my friend Juan, he was on a, a probation and he had an ankle bracelet on and he's mopping. He's one of the workers at IBC while doing credits while getting out of prison. And, uh, he, he, he put his mop down and he started rebuking us. 
for the spirit in which what was going on. And they all left. And I respected him because I, I, knew, I knew a little bit about his testimony of how God, you know, saved him in prison, all this kind of stuff. And so I, I was like, bro, I, I wasn't making fun of him. And he goes, and he, he tells me, he goes, I can't tell you how many times I got arrested, not because I did it, but because I was with the group that did. He says, you're just as guilty. And I was like, oh. And like, that was a rebuke from someone that's my age. And I would have been a fool to just brush him off and move on because he was right. He was right. And I thank God that I had enough respect for him to take it and to stay with him. Because the friends that walked off, they didn't just walk out of that cafeteria. They kept walking a different direction. And so this is why you got to make sure, my friends, who are my friends? What, are they really friends of God? Proverbs 27, verse 5, sex says, uh, it says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And I can count on a friend that is godly to actually provoke me. And it may hurt at times, but it's going to help. It's going to help. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, the next kind of friend you need is a friend that will restore you. You need a friend that will rebuke you, but you need a friend that will restore you. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. Do you have a spiritual friend? A spiritual friend restores one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so, again, using this same friend as an example, Juan, years later, my wife and I move out here and we go through the most depressing, awful time of our lives. I'm literally quitting. You've heard the story multiple times if you've been here uh, any duration of time. And I'm literally, I'm giving up everything. I'm, I'm turning down, uh, uh, quitting the church. I'm turning in my license. I'm walking away from it all. And this same friend that rebuked me in a cafeteria drove all the way across the, uh, the, the, from Indiana to here, straight through. And he walked into my workplace and he looked at me and I knew, I knew that he was on a mission. And he didn't know the depths of what was going on. But he waited till I got off work. And then we went to the church, the previous location that we were at, and he started talking to me. And while I was under terrible burden, the man that rebuked me was the man that helped restore me. God used him to minister to me and to take the scales off my eyes and to cause me to reroute the direction I was going. I was going the worst possible direction. It was to my destruction. But I found a friend that bore my burden with me. Proverbs 27 and verse 17, the next friend you need is a friend that will refine you. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And so if you ever want to sharpen a knife, stick, whatever, there's got to be a cutting away. There's got to be a friction. And a good friend is going to have that influence where they're helping to cut away to sharpen your edge. Do you have anyone that's sharpening your edge? And I, I meet a lot of people that uh, it's, it's sad. It's, it's the struggle, really, of trying to pastor people. You know, when you're trying to want to be a pastor and you're trying to be as, as near and dear a friend as you can to them, and in the moment you see that there's an area in their life that is dull, and you're saying, you know, you need to work on this. You need to, you need to change this. You need to sharpen this. All of a sudden, there's this resistance, and they will not receive it, and they fight, and they push away from it, and they end up living the dullest life. Now, they got a sharp tongue, and they got, they, got, they got issues, they got problems, but spiritually, they're dull. They never can produce something. 
of great value that is so needed. And so I thank God for friends. I, I literally, that five friends that I have, we don't just sit there and like goof off and play, which I like to goof off. I like to laugh. But I'm telling these friends are the same ones. I don't have, I don't have to, I have, I have elder voice in my life, but I have peer friends that I respect so much that they will give me a rebuke, that they will cut things from my life. And it challenged me. And there's times it hurts and I, I you know, I'll, I'll snap back and I'm like, well, you did this. I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't make what you're doing right. And I'm like, love you. <laughs> and it, it, you need to have that kind of challenge in your life. You don't need a hundred friends. You only need about two to five friends that are that kind of depth in your life that can challenge you, that can refine you. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. If you at all times maintain and feed that relationship with love, a brother will be born in your times of adversity because they're with you at your lowest point. But Job, he thought he had friends and at his lowest point, they're just basically raking him over the coals the entire time. He's like, what kind of friends are you? He literally, he's like, what? I got, man, if I, he goes, if I was you, I would be trying to encourage you. I would be trying to be lifting you up, but who needs enemies when I got friends like you? And so the most meaningful friendships will be tested, but you got to work at keeping and building your friendships. I only got four minutes here. I'm going to wrap it up as quick as I can. And so a man that has friends must show himself friendly. If, if you have a, 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 a sorrowful mentality listening to this and, and, and you feel that, that spirit of Eeyore coming upon you, well, there are some things you can do to help you. And that spirit is, okay, I, I may not have friends, but I'm going to be the friend I'd like to have. I'm going to be friendly. I'm going to reach out to someone. I want someone to reach out to me, but I'm going to be the person that reaches out to others. Though it's not comfortable, though it's not my personality, though it's, but a good friendship is worth the effort. A godly friendship, a friend of God is worth your time and your effort. You want a friend? Be a friend. Be someone people want to be friends with. Proverbs 16, 28, a forward man sows strife and a whisper separates chief friends. If, if you want to keep friendships, you got to build trust. You can't be a gossiper. You can't be a slander. You can't go revealing secrets. If someone's confiding in you and then you go around and like disclose that to other people, well, this is, this is going to be a, a high probability that that friendship is never going to be a meaningful friendship because you're losing trust. You've got to learn to build and develop that. Uh, Proverbs 17, I'm, I'm sorry just because I've got three minutes. He that covers a transgression seeks love, but he that repeats the matter separates very, separates very friends. So, I don't know, stop being an idiot. You know, if, 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 if you want that friendship to work, stop doing what's ticking them off. Now, if you're trying to help them, that's one thing. But if you're like, you keep like breaching trust and you're doing things that they don't like, you got to, and I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I could think of a couple friends that I value so much that like my love language is like to cut people down. Like it's just, I grew up in a school, in an environment where like my love language is like just making fun of people, tearing them down, tearing them down. It's, I don't know, it's on the basketball court, trash talk means I love you. And so it's just a culture. But I, I, some of the friends, those new friends that I have, that's not their love language. It, like, also, they take it personal. They take it serious. And they, 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 they whimper like away like a dog, you know, a tail between their legs. I'm like, okay, if I want this, I, I want that friendship because that friendship has something I respect. They love God. They're pursuing God. And they're close to God. I can't behave that way with them. So I will change whatever I need to change because I want to be friend with someone that's a friend of God. I want that kind of person in. Because in other words, you could just have a circle of everyone that's just like you. 
And that's just chaotic anyways. You don't want that. Acts 27, verse 3, last verse, and I'll, 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 we'll stand and pray. Next day, we touch at Sidon. Julius courteously uh, entreated Paul. He gave him liberty to go to his friends to refresh himself. Paul in prison. Paul uh, incarcerated. But he was able to have access to some friends. And that word, refresh himself, it comes from two words. It means to affect and to affect. It's carefulness, kind, attention, hospitality, to help provide for his needs. The Apostle Paul, who would seem to be like a self-sufficient gentleman, I mean, the dude's like, I, I learned to, to operate in any state. In abundance, in poverty, with clothing, without clothing, with food, without fo- food, I, 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 I can do all things through Christ. But here is an insight that he needed provision for his needs that he could only find in friends. There's things you could only find in God, but there's some things you could only find in another human being that God can work through into your life. And Paul got, he found liberty to go find friends to refresh himself that affected him and affected him and began to, their careful attention provided for his needs. There was a hospitality about him. And you need to have that from your friends, but you also need to provide that for your friends. Instead of the one that always inherits everything, you need to learn to also invest. Hopefully you have a spirit of hospitality that tends to their needs. Not just everyone meeting your needy needs. What are you doing to help meet someone else's needs as well? And so deep spiritual friendships, they pay off in the end. Looking at David and Jonathan as we stand together. You know, uh, uh, Jonathan died prematurely. Now, they're best friends. They're souls in it together. And Jonathan dies. And you, it would just seem like, okay, the friendship's over. But the friendship, the effect of the friendship lived on. Because all of a sudden, when all of the lineage of Saul was slaughtered, David says, is there anyone that's related to my friend Jonathan? And they found, a friend of, they found the son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth. And he was handicapped. He was paralyzed from the waist down. And David, because of his friendship, he reached for his child and was able to bring him at the king's table. And he was able, he, sh- he should have been executed, but because of a friendship, because David was a friend of God, and Jonathan and David were friends one of another, all of a sudden it affected the family, the posterity down the road. Your friendship, who, who's, this is why like, it's important. Like, I, I love the fact, you know, the families in this church, that some of the friends I have in this church, it's not just about my, me and them. It's about our children. It's about the future growing up. What beautiful opportunity for your children to have the right friends. And that's why it's important. You need to listen very carefully. You need to be friends with people in this church if you have children. Because your friendships with people in this church that are friends of God, you want their children to be friends with your children. It's only going to help your family. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. You're an awesome God. And Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that Lord, this walk with you is is about faith. It's about sacrifice. But God, you see our human needs. You see what we need, Lord, on a very physical basis, a relational basis. And Lord, you let us have friends of God. You have friends that walk in Watertown, Jesus. And I pray that we would find those friends within this building, within this room. And Lord, that we would uh, feed those relationships, that we would feed those friendships that we invest one in another i pray god that it would be so i love you i magnify you i praise you let your will be done in our lives help us to have the right friendships